Hello, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I am your host. And I am really excited about today's episode. Very fun conversation. Tried some new things with our guest, uh, Kay Doyle, today. Kay is a wife, mother, executive coach, and consultant right here in Omaha, Nebraska. Really an expert in organizational change. Kay and I had a really fun conversation talking about organizational change. The big stuff, but just ordinary change of life. Uh, that many of us, whether we want it or not, find ourselves as change leaders. We talk about some of the principles and very practical ideas about how to do change well. We do some role play at the end where uh, I pretend to be Father James walking through a change initiative and a youth minister. And I think you're going to appreciate this conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Kay Doyle, welcome to the EquipCast. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. I am too. I'm really, I've been looking for, I mean, I look forward to all of our, uh, all of our conversations, but okay. We've known each other for maybe about a year now. We've just had a couple of interactions, which has just been fun. You, you bring out the nerd in me, which is actually a compliment <laughs> like cause I love what you do. And I feel like I am an amateur at what you are a professional at. So I love talking with you and learning from you. First, just to start, tell us a little bit about your your journey with the Lord. So I grew up in a Christian home and never remember a time when I questioned my faith. Mm. That said, my faith journey really has been marked by periods of highs and lows, Mm -hmm. Um, times when I just earnestly um, had a desire and a longing for growth, and then very long periods of time where I let the busyness of life fill my mind and Mm. my heart as well. And actually, right now I'm reading C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. Yeah. And Great I book. would imagine Worm, Wormwood um, being quite pleased with himself during those those times uh, when I just left Jesus standing outside my closed heart because I yeah. was too busy navigating the real life. Yeah. Wow. But it was actually this work that really brought me really interested in growing my spiritual walk um, with God. So in 2019, Mm -hmm. I was finishing up my master's Mm -hmm. and I was doing some organizational development work at my parish. And as part of that work, I was conducting stakeholder interviews during which three different people suggested that I read Divine Renovation by Father James Mellon. Nice. Um, I I didn't do that right away. Um, But what, what I I did do is I went through Alpha um, that was being offered in the spring and I loved it. Yeah. And then I read Divine Renovation. And then I went on my first silent retreat at Cloisters on the Platte. And that was in February mm. of 2020. Fantastic. And that experience just led to more reading, um, more learning, and really a lot of personal growth. And, you know, so today, I mean, I continue to work on personal change, personal change for me and to converse with Jesus regularly. And honestly, I just, I feel his presence more and more. Um, and I also feel like other parts of my life have changed as well. Oh, 
Kay, that's so beautiful. Part of what I love about that is, I don't know how uncommon it is, but I am struck that your work drew you closer to the Lord, which is, you know, which is not necessarily a, a common experience. So I, I appreciate that. Tell people about like, what's your day job? I am a consultant. Um, I am the director of system change at a small consulting firm in Omaha. And our clients are predominantly nonprofits and foundations. Mm. Um, but with system change work, we are trying to change big systems like mm. the child welfare system or the criminal justice system. So like weekend projects, right? Just yeah. a couple of days. Long, multi-year, very complex and messy initiatives, but they're wonderful and they bring together um, many different kinds of stakeholders that are all interested in improving the outcomes in this work. I also do change management consulting, and I am also an executive coach. And so I do that type of work as well. And a wife and mother and proud member of St. Pat's and Elkhorn. Yes. Okay. So I love the change management science. And, and I say that not in any way to be pejorative, but I think it's a new science. It's you know, developed over the last few decades compared to like mathematics, right? Which has been been around for a little while. Kay, does the science of change management, these practices, does it actually make a difference in how change initiatives turn out? Absolutely. As you know, people and organizations and systems have always been impacted by change. The difference though, is the speed in which change can occur these days because of technology and globalization. Mm. Um, which is what I believe really fostered change management as a discipline. Mm, um, sure. we, al we also have a better understanding um, and recognize the alternative, um, which is maintaining the status quo can lead to extinction. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me think about Kodak, the camera company, for example. Yeah. They, they were the ones to, to develop the first digital camera and that was done in 1975. <sighs> But they decided not to commercialize that product because they were afraid it would threaten it, their thriving film business, which had dominated pretty much most of the 20th century. Oh, yeah. And as you know, we know that how that story ends, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. you know, in 1990s, they were struggling. Film was in decline. Um, they were late to adopt digital photography. And I believe they filed for bankruptcy in 2012. Yeah. And just for some context, you know, the first iPhone that had a camera was the 3G that came out in 2009. Mm -hmm. And so change is all around us. And if we lose sight of what's happening in the external environment, it could lead to extinction in, in some cases. Well, and you know, I would add oftentimes when we think about change, we think about the pace of change as it happens with technology. But I would add to that the rate at which vocabulary changes. <laughs> think about like understanding our teenagers, that the rate at which culture and cultural taste, like all the, the rate at which those things change, it's not just, oh gosh, if I'm, you know, if I'm a business leader, I better make sure I pay attention to the up and coming technologies. If you are, oh, let's just say a church, paying attention to what is happening in God's people and what is happening in our mission field is essential. And if we're not attentive, we believe the church is going to persist, but not necessarily the church in my neighborhood. Remember years ago, Pope Benedict, you know, talked, talked about that. The church will always be here, but the church in my neighborhood, the church in my country, in my county, 
may not. Kay, let's talk about, so when people think about change initiatives, I mean, you're talking about, you've been working on massive projects, you know, changing the welfare system. Give us a, give us a scope here because there's big and small. What are we talking about when we talk about a change initiative? Change initiatives really can happen at every level. We talked about, you know, individual change. I mean, my personal change, my personal desire mm. to grow my spirituality. You know, we think about organizational change a lot. Mm -hmm. These tend to focus on technology, like a system implementation or a conversion. Mm -hmm. um, those things require procedural and policy and behavioral change. In a parish, a change initiative could be something tangible like a new faith formation program, or it can be very intangible, like changing the parish culture. Yeah. Um, so, you know, regardless the individual organization or system, all what links them all together is that change initiatives need to be backed by solid rationale that con connects strategy to mission. Mm. In other words, you know, change needs to be imperative to the organization's existence. Say more about that, because as you say that, yeah, that change needs to have a good reason, right? Solid rationale and the, the plan for change, the strategy has to be connected. It has to be kind of like essential. That kind of sounds like common sense. Talk a little bit about like, what are some of the basic principles or approaches that people should keep in mind as they initiate some sort of project? that's gonna involve change. Sure, so we talked about the importance of being, being able to articulate the why, why we need to change. But I think we also need to consider, well, why now? Mm. Why do we need to change now? Conversely, what would happen if we don't change, mm. if we don't do anything? It's important when you're leading change to be able to establish a sense of urgency which appeals to the emotional sides of our brain and gets get us moving. Mm. Um, you know, I think about St. Paul and some of the messages that he had in the Bible. There's always yeah. that sense of urgency, right? That yeah. is like the number one thing to get people moving, to appeal to their emotional side. Yeah. Love that because you know, I'm reminded like there, all of us know the dangers and downsides of letting our emotions take over, but purely like we're not purely rational beings. And when we fail to appeal to our emotions, especially when it's you know, for the sake of some future good, man, we do ourselves a disservice. But I, I feel like as sometimes a practitioner of change or as a, I don't want to say victim, <laughs> depends on how the change initiative is going. I feel like oftentimes I'm simply approached as though I were a robot, as though I were purely rational and nobody speaks to my heart. I know this may sound like a silly question, but how do leaders or those who are kind of managing change, how do you speak to a person's heart? I think with authenticity, um, mm. I think you have to be really honest. You know, when you're contemplating the question, why change? Why now? Mm -hmm. We need to kind of separate our personal interests. Is there something about this change that I want? Or is there a need for it for the health of the organization, the people mm -hmm. around change? Are they personal? Or are they, you know, do they have the mission of the organization in mind? Is that central to the, the question why and why now? Right. What, what's the motive? And can you articulate it in a way that people can clearly connect it to themselves? Oh, right. that's, that's huge. And another critical step really is painting a clear vision for the future. So people want to know where they're going, right? Uncertainty makes us uncomfortable. And so leverage communication early and often 
to minimize that ambiguity, ambiguity that comes with change. You know, a simple way to kind of remember the, the things that we need to do when we're thinking about change mm -hmm. are um, the four P's, which are purpose, which really, address, you know, the why and the why now. Okay. Picture, painting that clear vision for the future. There's planning. And of course, there's part, which is giving people a part to play in this plan of change. I love, I love that. I've actually, I've heard that before. What I love about it is, of course, like, oh gosh, it makes so much sense, right? Purpose, picture, plan, part. But you actually, when you have eyes to see it, you can start to see it all over in, right, spiritual leaders. I think about Moses, right? He's like, you know, he's like, he's clearly painting a picture. We're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes. Uh, right. Which is very different than we're in Egypt and, <laughs> you know, we're barely, we're barely, you know, sustaining ourselves here or even better. We're in the middle of the desert. Hey, people stick with it. A land flowing with milk and honey. And that just that one element, right? That picture it was, was huge to helping people continue to persevere on the journey when it got really hard. Yes. Oh, I love that story. That's great. Okay. I, I'm thinking here, like, again, I love this stuff and I try and be a little self-reflective, right? About my own nerd, nerdiness. I think some of our listeners are thinking like, okay, uh, we tried change management. You know, we had this project. It was awful. I'm never going to try <laughs> and change anything again. Like, what are some of the typical pitfalls? Like when things go bad, what was typically missing? Okay, I'm going to give you a tip. So change would be easy if it didn't involve people. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so change is situational. Change is the thing that's going to be different. It, mm -hmm. it could be new technology. It could be a new priest. It could be a new program. Mm -hmm. Transitions however, are psychological mm. and transitions are the three phase process that people experience as they internalize and process and come to terms with the new situation created by the change. Oftentimes change initiatives and change leaders, we focus on the tasks at hand uh -huh. and we just expect people to go along with it. Yeah. Change management theory acknowledges that people need time to let go of their old ways and identify new ones. So there's this, so transitions really begin with the end, this letting go of the mm. old way. And it ends with the new beginning, the one with purpose that you've painted a picture for, that you've constructed a plan and that you will engage people to play a part in the plan. Gosh, that makes, I mean, as you talk about this, I'm, I'm thinking of this is so Catholic, right? I mean, we're, you know, the way, <laughs> the way they just are, are, I think the Catholic genius, right? For ritualizing endings, uh, whether it be, yes, you know, and, and ceremonializing beginnings. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I spent a, a long time in corporate communications and I recall painting a picture of a combined organizations, say after a merger mm -hmm. with unparalleled capabilities to sell the benefits of the merger. And so this may be appropriate messaging when your audience is committed to the change, mm -hmm. but when we anticipate resistance, our message needs to focus on why the change is needed and to sell the business case for change because people aren't, people need to understand the why. Wait, let's, so let's break that down. You're saying 
if you're in a, a position where everybody's like, yes, let's do this. Well, then focusing on the benefits is fine. But if you're they're ready to be, they're ready to be inspired. Right. But if your intuition or the presence of pitchforks and torches uh, seems to indicate some sort of resistance, then you need to go back to the why. Why do we need to do this? Yes, absolutely. You need to sell the business case for change. Maybe you need to talk about what life will be like if we don't change. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, this is not an abstract reality, you know, for most of the Catholic church in the Western world, uh, we're facing dramatic changes to our institutions for, for several reasons, right? Partially because of the global or at least Western phenomenon of, of people disengaging from the faith. Um, so there are less and less individuals who are adhering and participating the way they once did. But then for the far less, the, the more innocuous reason, uh, and this is very impactful for Nebraska, there's demographic and population shifts where people who used to live 20 miles apart in little country towns and parishes, now, thank you, interstate system and you know automobiles, mechanized farming, et cetera, we live much further apart. Children go off to school, they go to Lincoln or Omaha for college, and they don't come back. And so the population shifts uh, alone help create scenarios where there's really yeah dramatic change to our institutions. Again, parishes and schools, and none of this is, is new, but for us to be able to navigate this well, I think you're giving me hope that this is a home game for us as Catholics, where we can talk about what is the purpose, what is the mission, what, what are the underlying factors here, and we can hopefully, right, because of our, our, our ability to, to be very human about ending things well and beginning things well, hopefully we as Catholics could do change really well. Because like it or not, it's, it's kind of come upon us. I want to have a little fun here. I've never done this on the podcast before, but we talked about it. We're up for this. I'm going to do a little role play. Well, where we going to talk about just a little bit, you know, some of the principles you, you talked about, some of the practices, just some of the real real basic stuff. And feel free to like, you know, throw in another tool into the the toolkit there. But I'm going to be Jim, the youth ministry coordinator, right? I'm a youth ministry coordinator at a parish and I have a change uh, change initiative project. And so I'm just going to start off by telling you a little bit about what I want to do. And we'll let you be in that kind of coach consultant space, kind of walking me through how I can do this change well. Sounds great. Are you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Okay, I'm so glad, so glad we had a chance to talk today. So I'm really like, I am totally convinced that I have got to shift our curriculum and really the whole style of the way we do our youth ministry at St. Peter's. We, I'm just, my own experience in college, I saw how powerful small groups can be. And I know like these days, like, I mean, even like the videos, everybody thinks like, oh, we'll just show a cool video. Like all the kids, like all they do is watch cool videos all the time. And that doesn't make church any different. Like I want our our youth ministry to be different because I want I want people to to come in contact with a community that loves them and a caring adult who's just a little bit wiser, right, than our 14-year-olds who can who can help mentor them into like faith and then maturity as a disciple. But I'm the only one who sees this. Like I, I know I'm not gonna I'm gonna need Father Pat to be on board with this. I'm gonna need other people to help me. You know, I've, I've got friends that are doing youth ministry 
other places around the country. And they've got like a ton of adults and I've got a couple of good people, but I want to do this. I know the Lord wants me to do it, but I don't know how to get started. So Jim, tell me what, what is truly at the heart of this change? What is it that you're trying oh. to change? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Go, go deeper than the curriculum. And, I mean, and- I want the kids to come out different. You know, I, I get maybe three or four years uh, and I got a, I have a real good relationship with, with our DRE, you know, the, the lady who runs religious education. So I get some time even before that, but I really only get a short period of time with them. And I, I know my own journey in college and like what they're going to face faith-wise. And like, I, I want to know that the kids from our parish don't just know Jesus and are going to stick with him through college and beyond, but I actually want them to take somebody with them. I want them to be the type of friend who makes a difference in another friend's life, not just by their kindness, but by actually introducing their friends who are just as desperate or well, more so than they are, because sometimes they don't have as good of families. I, I want our kids to not just be Catholic when they graduate from, from college, but I want them to like bring some other people along. I love that vision. What makes you feel that that isn't something they are experiencing today? Well, because I'm friends with them when they leave. I mean, I've only been here for two years, so I'm still kind of the new guy, but there's not very many involved. The kids that come, God love them. They come because they're good kids, but nobody's coming yet because a friend invited them. And we've had a couple that, that have come because of friends, but like, the kids don't have those habits yet. Sadly, again, I, you know, I've only had like two years, but the, the ones that have graduated, if you will, from our program, sometimes like when I go to their graduation parties and I have the cake and I talk with them and their parents are like, okay, are you going to get involved in it? You know, find a church when you get to college. And I try to like give them all the stuff they need. I don't feel confident that it's gonna, that they're going to do it. Um, and I just know how hard it is. I just, yeah, I just, I know it's not working now because I know the kids. What do you imagine might happen if, if you don't make a change? You know, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if the parish, I don't, it'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if like, if youth ministry disappears altogether. Because, oh, that's sad. Well, I mean, it's just one of the, you know, I mean, money is tight and, and I get it. And there's good things happening, but there isn't a lot of momentum yet. You know, we're, we're kind of a unique parish in that we have both starter homes and kind of second level family homes. And a lot of the, I mean, I don't, you know, before my time, but people who have gone to, to our parish will come back and settle in this area. But so many of them, I'll like see them at the, you know, at the parish festival, they'll come back and they'll settle in this area, but they don't come to church here. I mean, this is in some ways, this is the future of our church. Like literally, cause these, the kids in our youth group will be adult parishioners in our parish. Not all of them, but many of them will be 10 years from now. That makes me very sad to hear you say that. Yeah, but there's hope, there's hope there too. I mean, we're really blessed in that the, the kids we serve, we actually will get to see them come back and, and be a blessing, you know, to to our parish. If you invest in in young people, it's it's with hope that they'll be a blessing to someone else. We're just really unique in the way our real estate market works, is they may actually come back and be a blessing to us. Okay, well, let's do something fun to lighten our hearts. Okay. I want you to tell me, Jim, 
if um, you've, you've made this change and all of the things that you were hoping for have come true, I want you to describe to me what this new environment is like. What is the parish community like? What is the, mm. the greater community oh, like? Oh, okay, so... What are people saying and thinking and doing as a result of this change that was made five years ago? Well, so for one thing, there's just young people at Mass. And not just watching, but like their readers and their greeters and their singers. And they're sharing like real testimony of like their life and their like, you know, so, so like their joy or, or they're not just like present, but they're, they're real participants. I dream of like our Wednesday night large group gathering where it's like this big reunion of everybody who's had common experiences of faith on our, on our kind of conversion retreat. And where people who have small groups other times during the week are like, they're all coming back together. I dream of having like a team of people, like kids who are constantly bringing new people, their friends in. And like those, you know, who are like kind of like our extroverts and our social butterflies, like having eyes for the new people and coming to them right away and welcoming them and helping them feel like they're a part of it. I mean, Wednesday night is fun because I love the kids, but sometimes I'm like, okay, I really belong here and I just don't quite even feel, yeah, and I'm the youth minister for crying out loud. Sometimes like I don't even totally feel welcome because everybody's still a little clicky. Mm. I just I just imagine a time when like Wednesday night is huge and there's always new people and I'm not the only one who's welcoming new people. I'm not the only one who's inviting new people. The kids are inviting new people and they have eyes to notice the new people and to make them feel like they're a part of it. Jim, that sounds so awesome. I imagine myself being a parishioner and feeling the energy from the young people in our community and I'm seeing them engaged and it's making me feel like, well, I need to do something too. I mean, look at these, look, look at them. Yeah. They are full of joy and evangelizing and bringing their friends. Um, I want, I want some part of that. Yeah. I mean, I want, I mean, I saw that, you know, I love, I was always, always inspired by St. Paul's, you know, when he's like telling Timothy, it's like, don't let anyone judge you for, for your youth, let your youth and your faith be an example and an inspiration for all. And so I want that. I want that for our, for our faith community. And honestly, like I want to take over like the public school that's in our parish boundaries. I mean, not like take over, not like a hostile thing, but I mean, like I want our kids to be going to the public school. I mean, I love our Catholic school too, but I, I want them to be going to our public school and like changing the culture on their sports teams and in their clubs and in that whole school. Like, I want them to be little missionary apostles. I love that. Okay, so what we talked about, Jim, is we talked about the rationale for change, the the need for change. We've talked about what would happen, mm, um, yeah. you know, this 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 dying of, of the vine a little bit mm-hmm. of the church. Um, and then we talked about what it could be like and just this beautiful vision of a, a completely different in, environment. Mm-hmm. So you asked the question, so how do I get there? I have so many ideas and I'm not quite sure where to start. So with a change initiative, it is so important that we involve the people around us, Mm. you know, take a human centered approach 
and explore this change with some of the youth. Mm. What are they thinking and saying and doing and feeling about the current format? Oh, that's awesome. Listen to what they have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what you're doing is you're inviting them to be part of this change process early on. Mm. You may want to consider testing out a new format and getting their feedback. Even before you have discussions with other people, start with them. This is this is their program. Mm. What would inspire and excite them? You know, what what resonates with them? That's hugely helpful because I I mean, of course I'm doing it for them, but I have to be honest, I didn't even think about asking them. I was kind of thinking about like, how am I gonna convince Father Pat that I'm not crazy? <laughs> but but we'll like get to that. We'll yeah, get but, to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but when he sees their enthusiasm, like that's like they're so oh, and I I mean I I think they will like it thinking they'll like it and them actually like, no, we want it. We want to do this. That's different. Then it's not just my, my crazy idea. Oh yes. We want to engage. We want to engage their feedback. And in that same way, um, I heard you mention that, you know, it may take a lot of adult help to get going. Right. And so um, talk to adults who might, the, the ones that might be the first one to help. Yeah. What insights do they have about the change? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this same way, I encourage you to have an open dialogue with the pastor. Yeah. You know, uh, so all of these conversations are happening early on. The change hasn't happened yet. Um, but what we're doing is we're in, in a period of exploration and learning. Um, so people are getting used to the idea of change mm-hmm. and you're soliciting their feedback and learning what they have to say so that um, hopefully by the time we're actually ready to make a change, you've got a coalition of supporters that are are fully on board because they helped you co-create and design this new change for the community. Oh, okay. That is so helpful. Thank you. Okay. That was great. I was actually like having fun there getting in character. So. <laughs> Okay. Now we want to do one more. I loved how you were like really trying to draw out like, okay, why, why do you want to do this? What happens if you don't? Because the ability for, in this case, right, Jim, the youth minister to be able to articulate what was in my heart and in my mind, I needed to be able to do that. If I was going to bring these kids and parents and pastor on board. That was something that was in the heart, but wasn't, wasn't articulate yet. And I had to be able to make it articulate. So I loved how you just kind of just pulled pulled it out. As a change leader, we want to help. um, We want to help people practice. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah. I was like practicing my pitch uh, to the kids. So that, that was so awesome. Uh, Okay. So now we're going to change here a little little harder. Now I'm going to be father James, right? Father James. uh, I'm the pastor uh, and I have to consolidate my parish offices and staff. We're at three different locations with three part-time staff. It's certainly not good financial stewardship, parish funds, but it's also not effective. Uh, it's not working and it's kind of killing me as the pastor, but I am more than a little bit anticipating the uh, resistance from the okay. staff and even from the from the parishioners. I'm afraid that, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm really afraid that there's going to be a lot of resistance here. And I I feel trapped because I feel like I have to make these changes, 
but I don't know how to do it without getting myself tarred and feathered. Help. So Father James, I have to ask you, and this is really important, what might happen if you don't make this change? Oh gosh, I don't want to say this out loud, but I have to be honest. I, it's overdramatic to say it might kill me, but it certainly is sucking the joy out of my priesthood. And to be honest, I, I think there are days... I don't, I, this is the part I don't want to say out loud. I think my priesthood is in jeopardy. Like I think my, my vocation is in jeopardy because of just the administrative stress. Like none of it works and it's just a, a headache and it's always a fight. It's not why I became a priest and I know it's just part of the job and I'm happy to do it, but it's kind of killing me. And, and that stress, I'm doing my best to pray through it, but that stress is really negatively affecting my, my vocation. What is happening in the community? You know... Well, I was going to say, I don't think anybody sees it because I, I, I feel all alone in it sometimes, but that's actually not true. It, from another perspective, I think everybody sees it. God bless Janice, but Janice has been there forever. You know, whenever she refers to me, it's as this pastor because she's seen, you know, 10 before and plans on seeing 10 afterwards. Everybody knows that Janice is a wonderful woman, but not great at her job. They actually come to me. So like they keep like, they don't come to Janice for things they need to come to Janice for. They come to me and then I'm supposed to schedule things. And then I have to talk to Janice and, and tell her. And, and I think it's like, so at some level, I feel very alone. Like nobody sees it and nobody understands and everybody's going to judge me and think I'm all temperamental or particular to try and consolidate these offices. But actually, I think everybody knows because they always go around her and come to me. We all affect each other. And so that's really the challenge is articulating the why mm -hmm. through your experience, but also the impact that it has on the, the parish community and all of the things that are happening within the within the church as a result of all of this stress. And, and it sounds like some inefficiencies. Yeah. Well, and as you're saying that, right, light, light bulbs are going off because people are always complaining about the communication. And I, I didn't know what this was happening and I didn't know this and that. And, you know, there was a, a merger with the parishes a couple of years ago, but, but we never really consolidated the offices. And so people are always feeling out of the loop when they feel out of the loop. Then, then it very quickly escalates to hard feelings and assuming bad motives. And not that that never happens, but usually it's just incompetence. It's, nobody's, nobody's mean. It's just that we can't seem to get three different bulletins synchronized and, and get the websites working together. And just there's, yeah. So the effects are all the way through. Right. Um, and it people- starts with you. Yeah. And it is spreading out throughout the community. And that's one that people see when they complain about communication, they don't realize it, but they're making the case for me that we need to do something different. So I want you to imagine then it's three years from now and the parish office has been consolidated. Mm -hmm. All the things, all of the scary and hard things um, that, that you thought might need to happen have happened. So you're saying I'm missing some limbs at this point or? No. No. Oh, okay, good. Okay, great. Sorry. <laughs> no, the, the parish office is, is down to one. Got it. Um, and um, we have an efficient staff, um, very engaged. Tell me about the parish today. Oh, gosh. How do you feel? What's happening within the community? What has changed? First off, I'm just less stressed because the things that I'm not good at, you know, like managing schedules and reserving facilities and coordinating all the communications and all that. Like there's just someone who does that and they're good at it and they like it. And I get to kind of focus on preaching and being with people 
and just, you know, showing up at basketball games and people's houses and stuff. I mean, not that I just want to have fun, but I'm just not good at that other stuff, but I know it needs to happen. So I, I feel like I'm free to do what I can do and to be a pastor to people in need, but all that other stuff is happening. Maybe these communities finally start to feel like one. What is the parishioner experience like now? Well, I mean, they have more access to me, but they also like, they feel like they're in the know. Like, I think the reason the communication bothers people so much, I think they feel like they're on the outside and they want to feel like this is their parish and, and we really are all one. But when the communication breaks down or, you know, thank you notes from like their, their year end giving or just all of the stuff that the office does, it ends up sending a message that they're not really a part and they don't matter. Um, and I think that hits their insecurities from the merger a couple of years ago. Okay. Well, so we, we've talked about the potential change that, that you feel in your heart needs to be done. And, and this is a little bit different than the youth ministry one, where mm-hmm. it was really important to gauge the people, the people involved mm-hmm. and solicit their feedback and learn from them. Yeah. This one might be different. For example, if you're, you're closing offices and, and there's potential that people may, maybe fewer positions and um, people may lose their jobs. It's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I just want to, we talked a little bit about transitions. In this situation, it's really important to be thinking about people involved in the change and helping them make the change smoothly. Mm-hmm. So um, in the book, Managing Transitions, which I highly recommend for change leaders, um, it is written by William Bridges. Awesome. Um he talks about ways in which we can help people let go. So for example, oh. if, if a decision was made that two of the three offices would close, there would be an announcement. And of course, you know, in managing transi- transitions, we start with the end. So mm-hmm. what are some of the things that we can do to help people let go and, and transition through this ending? Mm. First thing is give, give people information yeah. and then do it again. And then do it again. Yeah. Information, Um, information, information. Define what is over and what isn't. Not everything is going to end. Yeah. Just some things. That's huge. Again, right. We're kind of transitioning out of the role play, but I, uh, myself, when I've been in change leading uh, roles and when I see others, again, particularly in a pastoral church context, there's a fear of hurting people, you know, which is good, right? We shouldn't be callous to that and want to, but just simple things like, okay, you know, Janice, you are, you're still a member of this parish and we're still going to be friends. You're not going to be the secretary anymore, but you're still a member. You know, there, there, there's these things that will continue and these things that won't continue. And, you know, I'd start to think about in this pastor role, like really making the why very, very clear when you said earlier, how like, you know, when you're anticipating resistance, don't talk so much about the benefits as, as the why it's like, boy, being able to just put a simple cost benefit spreadsheet, you know, I mean, three different properties and rent and heating and cooling and electricity and all of that. So just, I could imagine creating as a change leader in this circumstance, a couple of different clusters of whys. Here's the financial stewardship. Here's father's time back. Here's on, you know, here's the, the experience of unity and et cetera. So, and sharing that information will help people draw the same conclusion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, that would be right. That's the ideal as a change leader. When somebody's like, Hey father, what if we combine the offices? 
that's that's great. This has been a fast conversation. It's gone so fast for us. I'm sure there's somebody who's listening who's like, oh crap. Like they can, you know, they know they're they're in a role where they're gonna need to be leading some change. What what's your advice to them just as as they think about beginning, maybe unsure as to whether or not they're willing to begin? What would you say to them? I would start first with prayer, you know, invite the Holy Spirit to help you with this work Mm. and then lean on God for wisdom and guidance. Honestly, that is just, you can't go wrong there. I personally always ask for a humble heart um, because Mm. I think it's important to be good listeners in this process and really hear what others are saying around me. Um, and then try and engage in this stance of learning. So for me, that's that's humility. Mm-hmm. It's important to be learning and hearing as you're gathering information, as you're as you're, as you're contemplating change, mm-hmm. rather than being an expert and and knowing and being closed off to what others can will say about this particular course of action. Oh, that's really good. Sometimes we can get in our own way and bring biases to this work. Yeah, and so I think that's really really important. Um, to be listening and and ask for God's help with that. Yeah. Remain a learner to learn and not just, oh, that's great. Hey, speaking of learning, uh, again, you did your master's degree in this, but what are some, what are some resources you would recommend? You, you did a nice, nice name drop of a book there. Uh, remind us of that book and what, what are some of your other kind of, yeah. What, what would you recommend as resources for those who who uh, find themselves as change leaders? I'm really a book nerd. So I have a I have quite a few favorites. So I mentioned Managing Transitions. Mm -hmm. Um, It is written by William and Susan Bridges. And the focus of that book is really helping people transition through change. And it is is a tiny book with lots of checklists. So it's really like a field manual. Um, oh, so I that's awesome. highly recommend that one. Another book is by Chip and Dan Heath. It's called Switch. Yes, I love that one. How to change when change is hard. And what I love about this book, there's there's basically three things that, that we're keeping in mind in Switch. There's our rational side. There's our emotional side. And then there is the environment. So mm-hmm. we can appeal to our our brains, we can appeal to our heart, but we can also change the circumstance so that change is easier. Oh, that's fantastic. The switch is a good one. Yeah. Very, very good book. Great stories all the way through. It's a story after story that really illustrate the the points they're making. We also talked a little bit about design thinking methodology without naming it as such, but you know, for the youth minister who's curious about trying something new, Mm -hmm. um, that is design thinking where you take a human centered approach and you test something with the audience and you create a prototype or like, you know, a, a new version of Wednesday and you test it out. And then you just ask for feedback. I mean, it's super simple. So there's a fun book that talks about design thinking methodology called Sprint, how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days. And you really can. Um, And this book is by Jake Knapp. It's a super fun read. It's a great way to experiment and test, particularly as it relates to maybe programming or just new innovative things in, in Parish. Oh, that's awesome. Kay, I know you are a a pro at this, right? You're a professional consultant, changing lots of big things. But for those who want to like, hey, Kay, I have something I want to talk to you about. 
How can people get a hold of you? I well, I would love to hear from you. I sort of feel like, you know, you were saying God got my attention through my work because I think he figured out after so many years that that would be the best way to do it. I just feel so blessed to have the the skills and experience that I've been given throughout my life. And, and I really do want to serve and, and give back in this way. And so I would love to hear from you. So my email address is K Doyle, K-A-Y-D-O-Y-L-E 1129 at gmail.com. Again, that's K Doyle, K-A-Y-D-O-Y-L-E 1129, which I believe are the last four digits of your social security number. No, just kidding. That's it. So <laughs> at, at Gmail. So we'll put that and uh, these book recommendations in the show notes. Okay, thank you. Thanks for being with us. This is a really fun, uh, our time just flew. Thank you, Jim. All right, everybody. If you appreciated this episode uh, and you know someone who is reluctantly become a change leader, share this episode with them, that this could be an encouragement and a blessing for them. Maybe a little bit of hope that it doesn't have to be as hard as it feels right now. All right, thanks everybody. Thank you.